Before we begin, a disclaimer. This podcast is for information only. I am not a mental health or medical professional, nor are my guests unless otherwise stated. My guests and I do not speak for or represent any recovery programs or workshops. I do not sell ads on this podcast, and I do not make any money from it. And finally, I want to warn you that some episodes may contain content about emotional, physical, and sexual abuse, which some listeners may find triggering or dysregulating. Hello, and welcome to the Loving Parent Podcast. If you're new here, this is where we explore the ideas of becoming our own loving parents and reparenting our trauma to build resilience. If you've been here before, welcome back. My name is Brita, and I'm your host. My name's Brita, and I'm an adult child. I thought I'd start by telling you a little bit. We're going to tag team this, so you'll hear a little bit from each of us on different topics. Um, I'm going to start by telling you about my family of origin. I'm the oldest of four children in a family where both of my parents were alcoholics. They were functional. They looked good. We sat on the front row at the Lutheran Church every Sunday. We had on our black patent leather shoes and our lacy stockings, and nobody had a clue what was going on in our house. And it stayed that way, and we thought everybody lived that way. As the oldest child and the hero, I thought it was my job to be perfect. I'm pretty close, not You can laugh at that. I'm not perfect at all. (laughs) But I thought it was my job to take care of everybody. And it took me a long time, even in 12-step programs, to learn that that was not my job. I started ACA because my mother went to treatment, and somebody there told me about it in 1983. And there was a couple of meetings here. Um, As a matter of fact, the first meeting I went to, somebody said, we have a tape recorder, you know, an answering machine where people can call and ask for information and nobody wants to have it. So would you have it in your house? So it was in our house for probably five years after that, maybe longer. So that's where I got introduced to ACA. So that was in 1983. About a year later, I realized by looking at myself and looking at my family and the people I had married that I too was an alcoholic. So I went to AA by the back door, as they say. And it's kind of made me probably a non-traditional member of AA ever since. Um, They don't like to hear about AA at most meetings I found, so I don't talk about it. But I was going through a divorce about the same time I started going to AA. And I really wasn't looking for a relationship. As a matter of fact, I was very much into religion at the time, and I had told God that I thought I should have at least six months to a year without being in any kind of relationship because I had two little kids and I needed to focus on my recovery and them. And then I went to this meeting in La Jolla, and there was this guy there named Richard. It was not this one. (laughs) He was there too, but I didn't know he was there. This guy was really tall and had the women hanging all over him, and I found out later Lots of things that I don't need to go into here. But um, I remember praying at night, you know, if it's your will, God, I'd really like to get to know Richard better. And later I said, you know, I didn't say which one, and this is the one I got. (laughs) This is definitely the best one. 
years ago, had something called Play Day. And once a month, anybody who wanted to got together, we drew an uh, activity out of a hat and went and did it. So the activity for this one particular Saturday was going up to the Wild Animal Park where they had concerts at the time. And I believe the concert that night, who do you think it was? Bachman Turner Overdrive, I think. But I remember sitting there on a blanket and Richard was next to me and he asked if he could touch me and he just reached out and touched my shoulder. And that the sparks flew and we've literally been together ever since. It is the sickest relationship <laughs> you can possibly imagine in the beginning. And I'm going to let Richard tell you the beginning from his point of view. <laughs> You're doing pretty good. <laughs> My name's Richard. I am an adult child. I'm also a whole bunch of other things I found out once I said that. Okay. Uh, I had a plan. And I came home and I showed her the plan and she came up with another plan. Mine started with wanting somebody, finding somebody. So that's how she came about. I was looking for somebody. I was still drinking and there was this guy that did everything he could to get me sober. And that didn't work. So he introduced me to that one I could cop to because I wasn't the problem. Somebody else was it made all the sense in the world to me. And I had this idea that if I found the right woman, my life would be okay. So that's what I went about doing, finding the right woman. And I ran across the guy uh, many years sober, and he told me this story about a God box. And he said, whatever you want, write it down on a piece of paper, put it in your God box, and don't worry about it anymore. So I did that, and I don't know, six months or a year later, she showed up, you know. And I knew it was her right then and there. There was, like, no doubt in my mind about it. I go all over the place. I'm a circular person, and I may start for that door back there, but it may take me 15 minutes to get there because I'll stop and talk to somebody. I'll rearrange the chairs, go get something to eat, go to the bathroom, maybe go out and see what's going on outside, and then I'll go, hey, where were you going? It's like the back door. She's the linear person. She goes right down the road. So we've managed to work that out. So I am the oldest of five kids. I was not a hero. I was a lost child. I would just assume you never saw me, that you didn't even know I was there. You paid no attention to me. And both my parents were alcoholics. My dad's father died from alcoholism before they knew how to cure it. He went into the DTs. They tied him down in bed, and he died. So... I know the disease and all the crap that goes with it, you know. I raise kids that I pass things on to. I was thinking when she was talking, we went to a couple of play days. One of them was down at the Embarcadero, and I remember buying a big white teddy bear that I still have. Teddy bears were like the thing. Like if you went to a meeting in 85, half of the people there had teddy bears. That was just a thing to do. And mine was a great big white one, about this big. And I would drag him to meetings with me, and I'd hide behind him, you know. And the sponsor I ended up with, she used to kid me about it. But that's how I felt safe, was hiding behind my bear. Then we went to the wild animal park, and I was pretty sure that her best friend was going to be my new girlfriend. And that's the way I ended up at the wild animal park. I, I think went with me. Yeah. 
and we met you up there. Yeah. About halfway through the day, I thought, I don't think this thing's going to work out, you know. <laughs> just doesn't seem to be a, and I, but I didn't think she was either. Not until that night and we were sitting there and something inside of me just wanted to touch her on the back. And so I asked her if it was okay. And she said, yeah. And my body was shaking. I mean, I was just nervous. I was probably about four years old inside. We left the wild animal park. We were going down to a grunion hunt in OB. And the three of us are laying there on the beach. And it's me and Brita and, you know, and could see that things were going a different way, you know. And at one point, it's like God, the God that I believed in at that time said, hold her hand. And the other part of me says, don't. You take hold of her hand and everything in your whole life is going to be there and you're going to have to figure it out. But I reached over and grabbed her hand, you know, and that's, there's a lot goes on with it, but that's where it started for me, so. Yeah. Um, we had our first date about two, two days later. I, I told him first, I said, I come with two kids, so you got to meet the kids. And he did. And we kept the kids away from him for a while. But um, <laughs> he had to get up and leave at three in the morning. But <laughs> we had our first date. We were going to go see Back to the Future. That's how long ago this was. And he shows up on my doorstep. And in his pocket where his pen should be is his toothbrush. So I thought he was pretty damn sure of himself. So anyway, we had our date. We came home. I remember thinking that night sitting on the edge of the bed that I had never had sex sober. And that was a sobering thought, let me tell you. And I won't go into anything else but that. But I mean, it, it was a real interesting, growing opportunity for me. The next day, I remember we talked about drinking and I said, I'd been married to two alcoholics, and I wasn't going to go out with somebody anymore. And he said, well, that's okay. I made a decision when I got into a relationship, I wasn't going to drink. You want to pick it up from there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we have to go back to the date. She didn't see, the, I have my dental floss and my toothbrush <laughs> in my pocket. And we're in the theater, and she reaches over and says, you have plans? And I was so embarrassed that all I could do is smile. You know, it's like, I don't know what to say. I, I, I just brought my toothbrush and my dental floss. You know? <laughs> I told her that I had, next time I met somebody, I decided I wasn't going to drink. I didn't tell her why, but that's what I told her inside. Like her, I'd been drinking for years. Everybody I ever had anything to do with, I was drunk. I did not know if I could interact with another human being without drinking. It was like beyond my comprehension. But I made up my mind. When I met somebody, I was going to try it. So that's what I did. We met on Saturday night. We went out, I think, on Monday night. And the following Sunday night, I was drunk. And we were supposed to meet that day. And we kept crossing each other's paths. And by the time it got to be six or seven, I got a hold of her and I said, well, you're not going to want to be around me. I've been drinking all day. And she, she didn't say asshole, but it's just like, I don't want another drunk in my life. This is how wise I got really fast. I said, I know I need to talk to somebody and it's not you. Yes. Because that would have been my old pattern was to try to talk to the guy and save him and rescue him. And I called a woman in the program and I cried and cried and cried and cried. And I thought, I'm not doing this. You know, I 
I'm not getting involved with another alcoholic. I'd already been sober a year and I thought, that's not what's gonna happen here. And I went to work on Monday and he called me and the operator put him through to my desk. And he said, I called a friend and he said, I don't wanna call you any names, but I think you might wanna go to an AA meeting. And he said, it just made my life make sense. And he's the only person I know who went skipping happily into his first AA meeting. And he's been sober ever since. Yes. So that's how, that's how we got started. And because otherwise I was walking away and he knew it. So that's where we were. That's the way she remembers it. <laughs> All right. What do you remember? My memory is I got drunk and I just, I'm going to say, it was like, fuck you. Who cares? <laughs> you know, that was it. It's like, you don't like me drunk? Fuck you. And continued to drink, went to bed, woke up in the morning, and it was like, I just wanted to die, you know. I had put on a piece of paper and put in a God box, I want a woman, and this is the kind of woman I want. And I was willing to throw that gift away just in order to drink. So there's got to be a problem here. And the Richard that she was interested in, he was my sponsor. <laughs> he, I had met him, in, and he was my sponsor, and he's the one that said, you know, go to a meeting and see what you think. And I, as soon as he said it, I knew that's what I was. And it's been an interesting journey. <laughs> so we had a pattern that developed. And every time we got upset about something, I would say, fuck you. And he would say, I'm out of here. And I mean, he would say, I think I'm going to sell everything and just go hike across Europe. Or I think I'm going to sell everything and maybe go to a convent or something. You know, he had all these things. And I'm sitting here with two kids, and he's, you know, already moved in. And so from that, we came up with this idea for a contract. And for several years, we had a contract on our refrigerator. And it laid out exactly what each person did. We renewed it every three months. And it had a 30-day notice clause in it. So if one of us was going to leave, they had to give 30 days notice and stay and do all of their responsibilities for the 30 days. And we renewed it every 90 days for what, probably three years? Long time. Long time. And there were several times when one or both of us wanted to give it up and we said we'd have to invoke the 30 day notice and I don't think either one of us ever did. Um, trying to read my own notes here. I'm legally blind for those of you who don't know, so. Ah, okay. I think one of the reasons that our relationship has worked over the years is that we went to separate meetings some of the time. We went to meetings together a lot. We sat next to each other for a long time, and then we decided to sit separately, which was really interesting because we saw each other from a different angle and a different perspective. So um, we always stayed out of each other's programs. I wanted to go to therapy, and he didn't. He wanted to do rebirthing, which scared the shit out of me, and I didn't want anything to do with that. Uh, we've discovered over the years that he is more of a feeling person, and I am more of a thinking person. And so what I have to work on is being more in touch with my feelings, and he gets to work on being more rational and being able to think through things. We finally did go to my therapist because we couldn't fight we were having the most horrible arguments and couldn't figure out how they got so off track. And you want to tell this part? Sure. Go ahead. The first sponsor I had was a male. 
And uh, at the time, I didn't know it, but I'm an incest survivor and pushed every button inside of me. So I found this crazy old woman, in, and she became my sponsor. She died a few years ago here. She was my sponsor for like 30 years. And I was telling somebody today, it's like, you can be in a relationship and you're a man, and then you go talk to a man, so you have two men's perspective on what's going on here. You know, hook up with a woman and you're a male, you get a whole different perspective on what's happening here, a whole different because I would just want to bail and run. And said to me, the first time I did that with her, she said, when it's time for you to leave her, God is going to tell me. And when God tells me, I'll tell you and you can leave. And I swear, I believed her, believed her for 15 years. 15 years, that was, the, that was it. It couldn't be any other way. And two things happened after... About 10 years, we were out walking one day, and Brita says, you know, every time something goes on, you go and talk to I want you to talk to me first. So I said, okay, and I pulled out my cell phone, and I called up, and I said, hey, Brita wants to do this. Is it okay? And we both just laughed, but that was how I did things. And then at about 15 years, I woke up one morning, and I thought, what am I doing with this woman, you know? What in the world am I doing here? And I got this brainy idea that I was going to bail, you know. And I called up and I said, hey, I think it's time for me to bail. And she didn't say anything. And I said, so what's God say? You know? And she says, I think it's about time you make your own decisions. You know, and I'm like 55 years old, you know, <laughs> telling me I have to make my own decisions. I was mad. And I said, look, we've had this thing all these years. You were going to tell me. Don't tell me now. I have to do something. But I did. I made up my mind. I wanted to stay with her. And we're down 15, 25, 30, another almost more than 15 more years, yeah. 18. So that's a pretty good stretch. Okay, your turn. Okay. Well, so what was I going to say? Oh, when we went to therapy, um, what we realized right away was that Whatever I said to Richard, he didn't hear. He heard something totally different. And the therapist would have him write down what I said and read it back. And it had nothing to do with what I said. I know I hear laughter out there because some of you do this too. And it was so just freeing for me to know that, that, you know, he has an auditory processing problem. And so she taught us how to write everything down, even if I had to write some of it until we both understood that we were talking about the same thing, and then we could, you know, work towards some solutions. And she was an excellent therapist. I remember one day we were mad as hell about something, and she just looked at her watch, and she went, time's up. And I went, what? I have to get in the car with this man? She said, why don't you just go for coffee? It'll be fine. <laughs> she left us to our own devices a lot, and we had to learn how to do this. The other thing that we had to learn how to do was role model some kind of a healthy relationship. But um, we knew we had to start role modeling for the kids what a healthy relationship was. So we never tried to hide the fact when we were having negative feelings. You know, if one of us was angry, we would tell the kids, um, yes, we're arguing. Yes, we're upset. Nobody's going to get hurt. It's not your fault. 
you know, all the things that we wished people had told us. I guess that's kind of how we got into the whole reparenting thing. I tell people now, if you want to learn how to parent yourself, go rent a kid and figure out how to, you know, get a plant. I don't care. Get a dog, something that is alive that you have to care for, because we had to learn how to do this. Or I could see I could already see in my six year old a little alcoholic who hadn't had a drink and it scared me. And I could look back on what my parents did to me and know that I was doing this to my kids. So that's when we started this thing called Happy Child. And how much more time do we have? Okay, let's let's leave Happy Child for the next section. All right, you guys enjoy your break. Thanks for joining me for this episode. It was produced by me, Brita Firm, and edited by Vaughn David. Our music is by Emmanuel Wilde. If you like what you heard, please leave a positive review and tell a friend. Also, tap subscribe and notifications so you won't miss a single episode. Remember, as you walk your reparenting path, you can take your time. You deserve all the love you want, and my love goes with you.